Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Portable Church Industries over at PortableChurch.com. So I'm getting ready to plan a church again. And here's the deal. Uh, the most valuable resource you have is people. So the important thing to remember is it's worth making an investment in the people that are serving your team, your setup, your teardown, all of that. And Portable Church has actually made that a whole heck of a lot easier so that you're looking after your greatest resource your people. Make the setup and teardown of your church easy, logical, and play a game of Tetris when you're packing up and unpacking. And trust me, that will pay out dividends to your church plant in a way you never expected before. Again, head on over to PortableChurch.com. And remember, if we don't believe in it, we're not going to tell you about it. PortableChurch.com. But you know what's better than that, actually, is having an established building you don't got to pack up every week. Oh, wait, wrong wrong thing to say after a sponsor, huh? <laughs> Sorry. Hey, Welcome to the Church Planner Podcast. Oh, wait. Hey, Church that's Planner, this is Pete Mitchell, and that, that was Peyton Jones. Hey, but if you like anything from this podcast, please send the appreciation letters to me. And, uh, you know, if you don't like anything, it's probably Pete because, you know, recently we've gotten some comments I, where people have gotten us a little confused. I would just like to point out that we had someone else reach out to us about sponsoring the podcast. And so I think you're feeling a little randy with Portable <laughs> Church. Because I'm not, but I listened to an old podcast from, I don't know, like. I don't remember which one it was, but dude, it was one of the, I think it was preaching series number eight. Can you believe that? And it just, it just came up on my, uh, my iTunes. For some reason it was in my iTunes and it was on autoplay. 
And I decided to give it a listen, and it was funny. I mean, normally I don't think I'm funny, and I don't, I, you know, I, our podcast is, you know, it is what it, we're just talking. But I was listening. I normally I, think I'm funny. Oh man, I'm telling you what, I was like, this is like, we're not trying to be funny every time we get on here, but I think Pete and I we amuse ourselves, and that's part of just what this friendship is. But it's two guys amusing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Why did that sound wrong? <laughs> hold on, hold on. Alexa, turn off my office lights. You're just showing off now. Wait, wait, wait. I'm trying to see if I can trigger anyone else's office lights in their office. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that when we used to do that? Yes. Alexa, turn on my office fans. Oh, much better. It's getting too hot here in the old uh, Mitchell office. That's so funny. Yeah, we used to trigger. We used to trigger us, right? We'd be like, hey, Siri. We did. We did. We did. <laughs> we did. We saw one commercial that, like, someone was messing around with the Google Home, whatever it is. I don't have one. And uh, we were like, oh, we got to do that. We're like, hey, oh, yeah, Siri, go to Peyton Jones, that ninja, and stuff like that. Hey, Siri, mail off a check. Make an automatic deposit of $5,000 to the next Nigerian prince that emails me. Something like that. I like it. I like it. So uh, what's new with you this last oh, week? Dude. I, hey, I missed my calling as a lawyer, apparently. Oh, I yeah? You will find that hard to believe. But uh, I had a hundred and something page document that I had to send to uh, one of my relatives who's an attorney to look over for a little matter that I'm entangled in at the moment uh, regarding my house. And uh, he was like, dude, you missed your calling as a lawyer. That is That is fine work. So... Nice. You know. Yeah, it was kind of cool, but uh I had blood drawn this morning. Ooh. So I'm I'm a little dizzy, a little punch drunk and uh little Are little they bit checking for anything or is this just like, you know, keep you healthy have, type stuff? I have to get this um I have to get this physical every year for my job. And if I go get a physical, they um they dump money in my uh health account. So, I go get my physical. I um I wouldn't, but hey, I think that's great. Hey man, it's hey, it's it's good money. I mean, I've been argue with it. I've been debating whether or not I should go to the old urgent care, but I have not. I've 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 said, hey, you know what? Psh, nothing's gonna happen. PD's invincible. PD's gonna live go forever. <laughs> hey, left arm radiating, a little bit of pain and numbness, shortness of breath, anxiety, and the feeling like an elephant on my chest. What could go? I mean. <laughs> Really? How could that be? I don't see any blood. Is that from a movie? Because that was like no. too quick. Well, it's my nursing knowledge coming out. Wow. That's funny. You just thought I was a pretty man in high heels. I didn't think you were a pretty man. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably good. It makes it easier to work with you. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I'm trying to think. What has happened over the last week? I, I had to have had a lot of stuff happen. I did read an old review of us, and it was, um, I came up, you know, <laughs> speaking of Nigerian princes, the, uh, have you ever gone into the messages on the Church Planner Magazine Facebook page? I saw you having a conversation with someone. Yeah. Yeah, so I had a little conversation with a dude, and I was like, you know, that was cool, but he was the first legit guy ever to be on there, I think, in like years. 
and everyone else is like Nigerian princes. So uh, I, my we do get thing, a lot of the Nigerian princes. I'm a pastor over here. Can you help support us? Send us some money. Right. Like, yeah. Th- that's primarily what we get. And so I was like, you know, I said, hey, you know, sure, I'd love that. Are you a Nigerian prince? And of course, he didn't. He didn't think that was funny. But then I scrolled down. And I saw an old uh, review. And he was like, uh, he was like, you know, I listened to this and he bagged on me a bit. And he said, you know, I would have thought someone who lived in the UK. Now, you know, he was upset at your gun talk and they're a little sensitive over there. But I, I was thinking to myself, hey, hey, this, hey, back to back World War champs over here. That's all I got to say to our <laughs> friends in the UK. <laughs> Two-time world champions in the biggest international sport ever played. So, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, it, never mind the fact that I'm always silent in almost every conversation I'm saying, well, I don't have guns, you know, or, or you know, I think Ninja Stars or whatever. But I didn't see this no, review. he was mad. He you was have, like, what did he say? Feel, yeah, oh, you have to go in there. And, you know, obviously he was listening when you were on your we, you know, we followed Pete through his underwear craze, his uh, charger phase, his gun phase. It'll be something next, you know. I mean, just stay. We have about one of these a year, right? That that we're doing this together. So, I, I I'm now incredibly curious because I don't remember this. Yeah. Well, hey, take a moment, familiarize yourself, and uh, we will flame him. <laughs> oh, really? It was one of those. It was a bad review. Oh well, I don't know if it was a bad. Re- no, he just messaged us, and he was just he was just sharing. He was disappointed. With, oh really? With you mostly, <laughs> with me slightly. In fact, it was probably more like, you know, Peyton Jones should have known better. It's probably worse for him, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm the guy the whole time that's like, hey man, let's move on. Let's talk about something else because I have nothing to say on the topic. But no, he was mad. And uh, at the end, though, he did say, when it did finally get around to spiritual things, I did agree with everything Peyton said. And then he goes, but I learned my lesson. <laughs> really? Like, hey. This was on Facebook? Yeah, it was on our, our page. If you go into the messengers and you weed your way, you know, and kind of weed out all the Nigerian princes, you'll find. Man, how do I do this? Know. Now I'm like. I, I gotta go look Yo, at you this. You know, it, it's hard. I don't know why it's so hard. That's why I never look at them. It's it's like a maze to try to get in there. We actually have one. a prince reach out to us. Yeah, <laughs> did you yeah, see you that one? See yeah, no, it's not that one. But you know, hey, if you are a Nigerian prince, though, we don't mean to make fun of you. Particularly if you have money, um, just donate it. Like, don't even email us. Just just reach out. We'll take it. You know, we'll accept it. We we don't want to interact with you. Like. We don't want to be your friend or anything, but we'll take the money, you know. Um, you know, Pete, it's funny because you might think with his red hair and baby white skin that there's no way he could be tied to a Nigerian prince. But I'll have you know, if Pete does a saliva swab in the DNA genetics test that you mail away for, uh, you know, we'd probably all be in for a surprise. He'd probably be on the next commercial going, Hey, you know, I thought for sure I was of Irish and Scottish descent, but I did the test and I'm related to a Nigerian prince. And I made 2.1 million. And then it'll say in parentheses over his lifetime. Yeah. Um, 
I uh, I am a Nigerian prince. Pete, you're whatever you want to be. Well, for all of our friends in the UK, I am actually going to another uh, shooting training this evening. <laughs> this will be support hand training. That's where you uh, shoot one-handed with your non-dominant hand. So I'm a righty, and I'll be shooting lefty. And, uh, you know, we got to practice for... Uh, wait, we, we had another shooting yesterday. Actually, they I think they wanted it to be bigger than it was. Like, that was what I took away from the media. First, it was like, six people died, and then it was four people died, and then it was... Well, two people died, and the guy killed himself. And, like, it kept going down it, and down and down. It was like that. It's funny you mention that, because it actually was a little bit like there were sharks for blood. I actually, um, there's a famous, uh, not so famous, I knew who he was, but on Twitter, there was a gamer who was there who won the 2000, I don't want to, I don't know what year, championship, like 16 or something. And he got his, um, he got shot in the thumb. Which oh, for really? him. Yeah, wow. I mean that. That's, that's hey. I don't care cool. where you get shot. <laughs> Getting shot is not like no kidding, right? I but mean, it, you know, you'd rather it be a finger than an abdomen. You know what I'm saying? But he uh, he just was saying, "Wow, I'm really fortunate." You know, he just survived. And there was a media guy, like a journalist, who goes, "Hey, I am so sorry to hear about this. Obviously, your safety is of utmost concern and top priority. But when you get a minute, call me." <laughs> it was kind of like. And people just started, like, trashing this dude, like, hey, man, show respect. And then all the bad stories, everyone's like, when my father was murdered, the media, you know, oh, it was bad. And I was just like, yeah, dude, you really got to, like, you know. But they were, they were like sharks, you know, in a, in a feeding They really were. And, and, and it's kind of interesting to me because, you know, we, we talked about this last week that uh, I'm really wondering, are we seeing the end of – modern civilization i mean certainly pleasantries are gone nowadays like there's no discussing we we can't disagree on issues without someone calling the other one a nazi like that's just how we oh, talk now yeah. you know my favorite little golden book is called um everyone who disagrees with me is hitler oh, and really? then it says <laughs> and then the subtitle is an online a children's online guide to political discussion Wow. And it's got Hitler riding on a sled through space with a rainbow trailing behind him. It's a great picture. I was just I was thinking about this this morning. I was like, okay. So so Trump keeps getting closer and closer to either getting impeached or who knows, right? Like even though the whole Russian thing was I mean, it's been proven to be a hoax. It like doesn't matter. Like they've taken it and they're they're going for blood. Like neither side likes this guy. Like, Republicans yeah. don't like him. Democrats don't like him. Right. And the whole time I'm sitting there watching this going, okay, we got literally the chapel, uh, the Catholic Church is now imploding. We got mega churches across our nation imploding. I think we might be watching the United States implode. I'm like, so is this how the end times actually comes around? Is, like, everything just gone? I don't know, man. Yeah, it's hard to say, man. I don't know. You know, and here here's the thing. Um, just just a, a little word to our UK friend who I, I didn't even bother to check the date. It was, you know, I figured it was sometime in the last year, being that it was bagging on Pete's gun. Yeah, no, it could have been any time. <laughs> let's let's be fair. Could have been what? Any time. It could have been any time. Well, you know, I, I here's the thing. Welcome to Smack Talk, by the way, ladies and gents. 
we speak to church planners. And when I hear a guy who's like, hey, by the time I got spiritual, I'm thinking, A, kind of like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know neither the scriptures nor what it says about such and such. Here's the deal. And I, I know those are fighting words, but here's the deal. Everything is spiritual, my friend. Your theology is just a little bit off. The reason Pete and I talk about this stuff is we're two guys who are on mission, who are doing outreach, who are talking about things that people are thinking about. Now, we might screw around a bunch in, in smack talk because it's part of our personality coming out. Lloyd-Jones used to say that preaching was truth-mediated through personality. So Spurgeon, for example, um, he was very humorous when he preached. Lloyd-Jones was not, and that's because personality is the mediation that the truth comes through. So what you're hearing on here is you're hearing our personality. We say we're screwing around, but at the same time, we are discussing things that are pertinent to, um, you know, to life in general and what people are thinking about. If you're a church planner, you need to be thinking, kind of like you need to be thinking about these things because this these are the gospel ends that you're going to have with people. Kind of like Joe Strummer from The Clash said, he said, if you ain't thinking about life and God and politics, you ain't thinking about nothing, right? You, you should be thinking and constantly processing. I'm a missionary. So uh, the reason I spent time in the UK, my UK friend, was because I left my own culture, went to your culture, and had to ask the question, why is UK culture failing miserably to reach its own? Just like America is right now. I came back, and when I left, America wasn't doing too bad. When I came back, it's doing horrible. And all I draw as a conclusion of the matter is that we are simply following the Brits, and we are behind the Brits. Now, the Brits have, uh, the churches have, have definitely uh, gained some toughness. They've gained some resilience. They've gained a lot of cool stuff. But I got to be honest, when I lived there, the cultural divide, I would see people come and get saved in the factory. They would come to church with me on Sunday, not a church I planted, but a church that I served with when I first got there. And they'd be like, dude, this is so far removed from, from real life. And that was God planting the seeds of church planting. So I would challenge back and I would say smack talk is, if nothing else, a showcase of two guys on mission processing uh, life. And and for us, when you're on mission and you're talking to non-believers, you're constantly processing everything in culture. I posted on Facebook a couple days ago, and then I'll stop my salty rant. Uh, but the, uh, the, the Think Christian website is my favorite for this reason. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if Chris Cornell commits suicide. It doesn't matter if Batman declares he's an atheist in a comic book. They're going to talk about it. If someone comes out with a new album that, that hints at something that talks about redemption, they're going to post it because there's always a bridge. We are spiritual beings. Therefore, everything going on is spiritual. Jesus told the Pharisees, how is it that you can't discern the times? And so, Pete, when you said that just a minute ago, it kicked me off a little bit. Um, I feel that many of our religious leaders today, they can read the weather like Jesus said, but they can't discern the times. Yeah, well, that's a little bit deeper than I was thinking of going. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm here for. See, you're here to look pretty and be funny. I'm here to say intelligent things. Well, no, no in, in all honesty, though, I do, I do look at this. I look at what's happening to our country, and 
the fact that no one will talk to each other. Like, they just won't. They won't talk to each other. And I'm like, okay, what happens if... What happens if they actually get Trump removed from office? Right. And I'm like, okay, do you guys realize that all of his supporters are like massive gun owners? And they're half like crazed right now anyway. I'm like, right. And I'm not trying to say if you're a Trump supporter, you're crazed. I mean, as we've said on the show, I'm not a Trump supporter. You're not a Trump supporter. We didn't vote for either of the major political parties. We're not registered. Well, actually, I don't know if you did or not. I know I didn't. Um, We didn't. uh, Neither one of us are Republicans or Democrats. We're both independents. So I'm, I'm not saying this like from any particular stamp, but I'm like, man, dude, okay, what's going to happen if, like, I, I genuinely wonder, are we looking down the barrel of another civil war in America? Because neither side will talk to each other. They just right. won't even talk. We can't talk to each other. It's just so right. ridiculous. Okay. But, yeah. No, I, I totally, man, I... I'm not. I'm not going to disagree there, and I think that um, what we've done is we've demonized yes the the other side. Like like for example, we we all know that Trump said ridiculous things about McCain, um, things where you go, dude, how are you even president again? Like you, <laughs> did you really? You know, like I tweeted. I don't speak out often, but when he called, um, I can't remember her name, Amarosa. Uh, yeah, when he called her a dog, and I yeah, was like, you know, and we commented on it last week. Like, you don't do that to a woman. You don't like, do that to anyone. I mean, especially as the president, have correct. a little bit of you know restraint. And, I, and I'm not even lower though when you see the president addressing the guy who ought to be embodying what it means yeah. to be a diplomatic statesman, a gentleman, the gentleman of gentlemen, and and he, you know, that is the role. I'm sorry, people. Oh, times change. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. There's too many lives and too much at risk for people sitting in their armchairs eating their potato chips watching Fox News to comment and say, well, times have changed or whatever news channel does not be Fox. I'm not taking a swipe there. I'm just that just came to mind. But here's the deal. The president of the United States is the most powerful man on the planet. And like Uncle Ben said to Peter Parker, see, I had to go there, uh, (laughs) with great power comes great responsibility. And if all you know about politics is what you learn from Uncle Ben and being president, you learn from Spider-Man, that's enough. Yeah. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, man, I mean, I'm just looking at it that, you know, but the media last night, I was going to bed. And my wife and I were talking about it, how their headline was how he refused to give it. And then he tweeted, you know, he tweeted something specifically to the family. Doesn't undo what he said, this and that. But everything's just being so demonized and misrepresented on both sides. On both sides. That's the key. Yeah, that you're just like, you know what? Like, I'm not a defender of Trump. I mean, just even if you just saw that tweet. You didn't even read any, you wouldn't need any news headlines. You would just read that and go, oh, dude, that doesn't undo everything that you said to this guy when he was coming out of brain surgery. Like, you, you really screwed up. Imagine, I just want people for a second to imagine the qualifications for a minister that Paul has, right? Um, 
And he just says things like, must not be angry, must be of good reputation. That's that's for a minister of the gospel, right? It's not a far stretch to say, well, you know, if a minister of the gospel, in you know, in Paul's day, they weren't like pastors of thousands typically. You had Ephesus and you had Antioch and you had Jerusalem, but typically, you know, they, they were small. And Paul says, hey, if you're going to lead a small bunch of people, you got to have these qualities of character. And uh, so, like I said, man, I, I, I'm, I'm a little old school on this. I do feel the character of the president ought to be there because of the oh, power. It totally does. Are you kidding me? It to- you represent. It's okay if he's a tyrant. It's you okay represent if he us to character. the world. Like, despite what you do to the people in your own country, you're representing us to the world. Well, that's it, and we're and we're real quick. To go after other leaders oh, totally. on bad character, right? Oh, Kim Jong Il, you know he he uh, you know he he has no character. Um, Saddam Hussein, he has no character. You know, uh, we'll we'll be quick to talk about how someone else has no character and therefore they ought to be removed. But and I'm not I'm not saying to vote. I do think how people are saying, oh, remove Trump, remove Trump. It's just you know what, like just play the game. You know, you you, you lost the election. Just play the game. You know, well, that's not, that's definitely the way that I feel about it. I mean, I may not have voted for the guy, but give me a break, dude. Yeah. It's like stop crying, stop crying for the guy to be removed because you didn't like the way the vote turned out. Like, and, I mean, and here's say, the thing: here's it's democracy, thing. people. Exactly. I mean, we as as a conservative, when Obama got elected, I wasn't like, oh, we got to get him out of office. Let's. I mean, it was like, dude, he's the president. We got to suck it up for four years. Oh, man, eight, right? It was like one right. of those. But, it, you know, it wasn't like the, the, the temper tantrum that we have today. But let's be fair about this. Like, there was a unique vacuum in politics at the moment where you could have a guy like Trump who literally just bags on everyone, tearing them down publicly. And everyone was like, yeah, that's what we need. We need someone to finally tell these guys off. And that got well, that, him elected. That was it. You didn't – you had the absence of anyone who seemed like they had a backbone or something really to say. And I think that's why Bernie Sanders, for at least a big cross-section of America, he had something to say. And for those of you that are like, oh, my gosh, I, I did not support Bernie Sanders at all. But again, this is what we're saying is people aren't able to talk to each other anymore. Yeah. Like if you're ready to turn this off, you're just part of the problem because you're, oh, I can't hear that. You know, at least I thought I was safe here. We, Pete and I are backing up and, and talking critically. We're, we're just trying to critically think and observe and stand outside here because Pete, Pete and I are both neutral. We've always been neutral on this podcast and we've always. Well, we're neutral said, in the sense that, <laughs> well, I can speak for myself here. I'm so conservative. I haven't had a politician in any election, I think, since I was born. So, like, <laughs> no one, no one speaks for me. I'm, I'm way right. too conservative for all of that. But, like, one of the things that I mentioned this, you know, months ago, one of the things that I had to do was I had to turn off certain Facebook groups that I was a part of. Right. Because the memes that they would post to me were so stinking funny and accurate. But I realized it's not helping the conversation. And I still catch myself to this day, right? So I'm not trying to say I'm innocent and I don't like repost someone else's memes. 
But it was like a lot harder for me when I was constantly being flooded with, you know, memes and stuff that would not help the conversation. They would just be funny to me and I would repost. And I'm like, that's not the right thing to do. Like, I can't have a conversation with someone I disagree with when, you know, I'm putting a smackdown on them every time they, they look at my Facebook feed. Right. And I know I would say that most, probably most pastors are a lot better than that than I am. That's just, mm, well. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I think people like living in an echo chamber because for me, right, like, I, uh, I think there's great stock in the way the British do it, right? Um, they have that shadow cabinet where it's the opposing parties and they make a cabinet of advisors from the opponent, from the opposing side. And it brings balance so that you're still leading the country together. But the shadow cabinet is not, um, they're not the ones in power. And, and that is such a healthy system that you've got, you know, you're still getting that input and people are still for the good of the country trying to move the ball forward. And you're hearing those perspectives. That to me is where we've lost. And I think that's what McCain embodied to a lot of people was, you know, they said that he could cross the aisle. And, you know, some people are like, that's traitorous. No, he was trying to get things done for the good of America. And I think that's where other people appreciated him was he was like, well, look, we've got things we disagree on, but we've also got things we agree on. Let's move forward together on those. And I'm going to be a gentleman and I'm going to, I'm going to reach across and shake your hand give you the respect. Now, for me, politics is such a, because on the one hand, I'm talking about this guy to have character and he ought to hold himself a certain way. And yet I don't trust any of them. Right. (laughs) So I, I never (laughs) pin my hopes to politicians. And so I'm saying this in theory, only realizing that uh, for me, my view of the presidency is you, you might go in there with ideals, but probably the truth is you probably pretty much fried your character to get there in the first place. Um, not necessarily always, but probably by the time you leave, you've gotten your hands so dirty that you, <laughs> you, you probably, you know, you, you gotta go to bed at night thinking the ends justifies the means. Well, well, look at this, this latest thing to come out in the New York times, the, uh, the sex abuse fund that Congress has over $15 million have been paid out to sex abuse victims by congressional members. And they're spe- kidding me. Oh, no, the New York Times just came out with this this weekend. It's a secret fund, and they they showed this is the act that Congress passed. You can't go public in the era of the Me Too movement if you've, uh, you've, you know, you have to go through their channels. They're trying to save themselves. Oh, my gosh. And over $15 million of corruption given out. It is, yeah. But but, my point is, is what you're saying is true. To, To reach that point, you were probably so corrupt. And I mean, you don't have to be, but I mean, come on. It's well, like you can't give people power and tell them to be good boys with all that power. Well, they're um, not being good boys with it. That's for sure. No, there's psychological things that happen. Well, think about it in our churches. And I know this is part of where, where we're going to go today. Into our talk today. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at it in our, our churches. We've got now we're seeing more and more mega churches crumble. And we got these powers that have been given this, you know, pseudo, I don't want to call it power, but it It is power. It's an authoritative position. It's a, 
it's a I don't even know what to call it, but I mean, if, you know, if you've ever been in a church, and all of you guys have, you know, normally, <laughs> hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> well, you know, and 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 normally, you know, like there are denominations out there that, that it's a little bit more checks and balances. But um, I, I think the Presbyterians, you know, they, they probably are the closest thing to getting this right, you know, where there's just a lot of accountability. You have a, a team of elders and then you have a greater team of elders called a presbytery where they come together and decisions are made where guys can't just run off and do whatever the heck they want. I'm sure there's abuses there, too. But my point is we've all been in, in, in churches where the um, – the the pastor's kind of like the boss CEO, and if you disagree with him on the wrong things, you're gone, right? I yeah. mean, uh, you know, because of the way that it's set up, which ought not be. So, therefore, the guy, if he decides he wants to take these trips, he takes them. Nobody questions. If he decides, hey, I need this, he gets it, and nobody nobody questions. You know, if uh, if he says, hey, I feel the Lord telling me we're going to go this direction as a church and therefore we're going to need to start this new building project, um, the church better get in line. The leadership, the elders better get in line. No one wants to oppose what God is telling our supreme leader. So because of that, um, there is a lot of room for abuse. If you want to stay on this panel, you better get in line. You know, It's just, it's not good, man. Yeah. Yeah. So should we actually break into our topic? We probably should because our our topic is a little bit Cause different. Our, our smack talk wasn't nearly as fun as it normally is. <laughs> well, it, no, it wasn't fun, but that's okay because I I think to a certain degree, it it just needs to be what it is. You know, it, it's two guys talking. These are more serious topics, and also too, man, the the thing to be honest, I am heavy hearted coming into this topic today. Um, there was a minister in the Inland Empire here in California who tragically took his own life. And um, I guess I don't know many details at all. In fact, I don't want to focus on him because, uh, you know, it, it, a it's it's just not honoring. It's not fair. I I don't I don't. And when I say it's not fair, it's I don't want to speculate because I know nothing. Not because I have a judgment on it. You know what I mean? Like when I say it's not fair, it's just I don't know anything about it. I just read it. It it I have to say it haunted me all weekend. Mm. Um, it colored everything that that I thought about, everything that that I read, everything I saw, every posting about church. And I I know that um, he was a minister, a young man. He was caught up in uh, uh, one of these churches, big non denominational church. I I believe he planted it, although I'm not sure. Um, but he, um, it kind of had like a Hillsong vibe. I listened to his final message that was preached over the weekend and, um, he, you know, he was very honest. Like I got to say, like, as I looked at him in the pictures that they're posting, I felt for him because he seemed like a normal guy. But when I watched his final message, knowing what I know, um, as a psych nurse and just kind of knowing what happened afterwards, going back and watching that sermon, they had given him a three-month sabbatical, and he had come back, and he was just, you know, you could tell he was struggling up there under those lights. He wasn't better. He wasn't okay. Three months wasn't enough. It was almost kind of like, you know, here, here's three months, which was very compassionate, and yet what do you do 
when your pastor comes back from a sabbatical after three months and he's not better. Do you, do you tell him fake it till you make it? Just go up and, you know, make the people happy, you know, dance so they keep throwing coin up on the stage. What, what do you do in that situation? Because he was the teaching pastor. Um, do you, uh, it's hard to say. And I, my heart just really went out for him because I could see up there like he wasn't okay. And, and I don't think, a lot of people would pick up on it other than he was tripping over his words. And man, it just, it, it bothered me. And I thought, man, I'm sure that dude was very, very loved. And he seemed like a good dude. And when he was up there, it was really interesting because th- this is what really, as I was watching, I was like, wow, good for you, man. Like he, he had been sharing. He hadn't been hiding it. He had been sharing with the church that he had had suicidal thoughts and been fighting depression. And he had been very open with the congregation. He was announcing a series that was coming up. And he was saying, you know, um, we're going to keep, it was about David. And of course, you know that David had depression, you know, at times. And um, Spurgeon used to quote David often from the Psalms because David is very naked with his emotions. And in this... Um, in this sermon, the guy was announcing they had a series called Dave coming up. And, um, and he was saying, and you know, I, I, you know, I took a three month break and I chronic, I've, I've shared it with you and open and people with depression. And he was actually, you could see like he was trying to help people who were where he was at. And it just was breaking my heart the more I watched. And at a certain point I had to turn it off because it was just getting me too down. And, um, yeah. So it's just, just tragic, but I, I just thought to myself, you know, um, I know, and, and I frequently counsel ministers to take off as long as they need. I don't care if it's a year, we will find within the new breed network that I founded, um, you know, when, when we had guys go off, it was always, Hey, that's what the network's here for. We will cover it for you, but don't worry about coming back. You need to not worry about that at all. You won't get healthy if you're thinking, I got three months. That three months is going to be looming over you and creating all this pressure. You need that pressure off. You need to almost look at a dude and say, take as long as you need, up in two, and then maybe you say a year. Because I'm sorry, but depression takes time, man. That's not an overnight thing. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is the medications for anti-depression medic- medicines often can take months to kick in. And that's simply because uh, the brain can't take blood, uh, water-soluble medication. So things that dissolve in your blood are water-soluble. The brain has a barrier. Um, and, and so the only things that can get past the, the brain-blood membrane is it's a protective membrane around the brain. It has to be fat-soluble. So with psychotropic medications... Everything that affects the brain has to be fat soluble. And that takes time. It, it doesn't, you know, the, it, you have to give weird doses and there's a lot of adjustment. It's like when you give someone hormone medication, like when they lose a thyroid, it's a giant experiment that happens over time. And so for this guy, I don't know at what point he may have or may have not gone on medication, but the reality is it just, you can't tell someone three months. And I'm not blaming. I'm not shifting blame at all. I mean, and I don't know the details. And that's why. But I'm speaking generally here. Right? 
that that we have to be extremely careful how we deal with people. And you know, I'm I'm hoping that this will raise a little bit of awareness, kind of like Rick Warren did when his son took his life. So what would be your suggestion here and how you deal with that when we've got a church plant, okay? So let's say we got a church plant whose uh, you know, main pastor, if you will, team leader, um, needs to take time off, needs, needs the mental break, uh, and maybe they're the only one that's getting the salary. Yeah. How, do you, how you know, do you deal with that when it's like, okay, well, we need someone else to step in, possibly up to a year. And by the way, we need them to also take no salary because this is a church plant. It's not like we got a lot of money floating around here just to, you know, keep the old guy on and the new guy on. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you deal with that? You know, it's interesting because um, I think that the number one thing, you know, th- this is why we tell people. You know, don't plant alone. You need a team. And my wife and I were talking about this a few months back. That you know, in our history of church planning and talking about team leadership, what planners often do um, that we've noticed is they read a book like Church Zero, Ching, and then they'll they'll kind of come around and say, "Oh yeah, totally team leadership," and they'll grab one other person. Problem with grabbing one other person and calling it a team. Is this just you and one other person? So now suddenly, let's say that one other person is a human being and has a life. Um, there's not a team. It's it's more like now when you go off, you dump everything on that person, right? And so you don't feel the freedom to do that. But if you have a true and proper team, multiple people that you can, you know, say like a team of four or five, um, three is even better, but not ideal. But at that point, then you're not burdening the same people all the time. So when it comes time for you to take a, a leave of absence, um, you're actually, you really have a team that can stand in for you. And what I found is we're really good at talking about team. We're just really bad at ensuring that it's there. And Ender and I have talked that if we ever were to um, go back to leading a network because, you know, New Breed Network is still there being led by Matt Fretwell, but we no longer lead it, you know. And, and if I were to go and lead it now, Ender and I have said that we would make sure before we, because we were always like empowering. We, we were always like, go, 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 go. And I think at this point, I would have a little bit of a kind of like Jesus, go, but wait first. Make sure you got everything you need. Of course, Jesus was telling me wait for the Holy Spirit. But I think I would say, make sure your team's in place. And I think Paul, to be honest, to be fair, in his um, trajectory of church planning, he's trying to go as fast as he can at first. And then when you see him start to build teams in his third missionary journey out of Ephesus, he's trying to go as safe as he can. He's got that balance. He's still trying to go fast, but he's working smarter, not harder. He's He's gathered in one place all these guys to make a team and then he sends them out in teams to plant out of Ephesus and he's not going as fast but in in one sense he's creating church plants that last longer and go the distance or safer plants and I think his impact therefore because if I go fast and half my church plants fail which has kind of been my, my track record in people that I send out 
how, how fast am I really going? When you look at it in the test of time, well, I didn't go that fast, you know? And so for me, I'm kind of starting to look back now and say, you know, and Andrew and I, we, we came up with this together that you have to have your team in place. You can't just be saying, I ascribe to team. I talk about team, but you have to say, I believe in team and I have my team. So that's a first thing. Um, second thing is, um, this is beyond your own team. I mentioned network. When you take a sabbatical, you ought to be able to reach out to other churches that you're in relationship with and say, hey, I'm going to be gone. So, for example, we had um, uh, Refuge Long Beach is in the same network as um, another one of our churches. And that church is taking a sabbatical. And we immediately were able to send Mike Bonham over and say, hey, you know, um, be there. And that pastor just gets to take a sabbatical knowing that there's another competent leader who's able to lead in another congregation standing in and stepping I in. I wondered why he was going over there. Yeah, that's exactly why. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's what a network is for. That's that's what it ought to be that you can call. And if and if the team, if if the leadership of the church that you're calling on has a team, they can they can sacrifice a team member for a time. It is a sacrifice, and it does cost that church that the person comes from, but that is one of the things. And then also, too, is help, you know, getting counseling, getting help, getting, um, you know, professional help. I do think that when a pastor has that, the church needs to collect for that. The church, if the guy's like, if I were in a church plant and I said, hey, guys, you know, because I got touched by depression for the first time in my life, personally, I've never been depressed. I'm like I'm like the the, the buoyant bounce back kid, you know. You you knock me down. It's kind of like Rocky, you know, when he goes, uh, you know, it ain't, it ain't how hard you can hit; it's how much you can take the hits and keep going. You know, um, that that whole line there. Yeah, yeah. You have to say it as incoherent and as not making any sense until you read between the lines as possible. That's that how you do bad. Sylvester Stallone. That wasn't bad, was it? It really was right. It was very accurate. It's very funny. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and so I'm like, you know, that that's basically how I've been. Like, you can knock me down for a day, but I'm going to get up and keep coming at it. It's like the Terminator. And, um, but, you know, we, everybody has those moments. And for, for, for Paul, you know, he writes about that where he says, we despaired even of life, you know, and, and there are times that Paul, you know, he uses the word despair there. I mean, that, that that's some deep emotion there. And then he talks about, in, in that same letter, he talks about that, you know, we were comforted um, through our trials, you know, and yada, yada, and the Lord came in. But he was in pain, and that's what he's trying to say, is we were, we were down. And then, of course, he says, we're cast down but not forsaken. You know, he's, he's, he's doing all that. You know, I got knocked out, but the bell didn't ding yet, you know. And, and all of us have been there. But for me, I had my dark night of the soul that St. John of the Cross talks about. My mom died. I got back from watching her die in a hospital room, just kind of like the World War II medic saying, more morphine, more morphine. You know, having to, to, to stand there and watch that um, because she said, I'm ready, you know, and uh, just having to watch her 
struggle for breath and die slowly over a period of hours. That was traumatic. Loved my mom. Um, then to having to sell every scrap of possessions that she owned quickly um, because her house, you know, we had to get rid of everything. Um, having to do that, like the emotional whirlwind that that is, and and just then have to hop on a plane and, and come back here and um, of course, never mind the house floods like within a week of getting back. But um, it was just a terrible time. And I all the stress, like I remember coming back to my office and sitting there and I, I literally I don't remember what happened. I went in my office and I sat there and I think I remember one day I went through my entire photo library and classified it. It's the only thing I can remember doing. And I remember, I, I think that was towards the tail end when I was starting to like kind of get my brains back because I, I don't know how to put it, but I was in such shock. That's really what it was. I was in emotional shock. Um, I remember going with the kids when the house flooded and the kids would be playing in the pool and I'd be like in a trance in the, in the sauna. And my wife was super good to me at that time because she wasn't like, hey, how come you're not talking to us? I think she could see like he's not okay. He's not. He's not all right. And she was awesome through it. But I went into a deep depression after that. And I actually, I had to actually go talk to somebody. And And I just like to point out that someone was clearly not me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, no, it wasn't. Um, There are certain things that you don't ask friends to do because it's just not fair to them. Well, yeah, this was beyond Pete's capacity, and and because you'd actually like to get some good advice, <laughs> some True. some compassion. No, which I'm not scared. really known for compassion. Let's face it, I'm not. <laughs> no, no, you're not, and and but you know that has its value too, right? Um, I had an elder that every Monday when I want to get neurotic and you know have him, poor Andrea Sunday night had to peel me off the floor, and then Monday morning roll around, I'd be with the the elder that I met with and hey, you peel me off the way. And he'd be like, no, suck it up. You know, I was Jeff. If you read reaching the unreach, he was like a 1950s steelworking stud of a rugby player, you know, turned profit. And he was like, you know, he's an older guy in the seventies. And he was like, Hey, you guys suck it up, man. You know, it was like, and I needed that. It was kind of like when this is a bad metaphor and illustration, but you know, like when Humphrey Bogart smacks just about every woman in every film he's in snap out of it. Whoosh. You know, it was one of those, and I needed one of those. Yeah, like that old yeah, comic that, with that's, Robin. That's definitely a bad metaphor to be used. It either. is a bad metaphor, and I, I did say that. But it's okay. <laughs> Maybe it's like the Batman, the Batman meme. If you no, ever I run think, for no. office, <laughs> if you ever run for office, they're going to be playing that clip all over CNN. They will. They will. But, you know, the, the, the point is, is I needed someone to smack me out of it, yeah. you know. And, uh, but, man, I tell you, I was scared. I was really scared um, because I'm a guy who likes to be in control. I'm super disciplined. I like to I like to manage my schedule. I forward plan. In fact, it's funny because over the weekend, I accidentally sent an email to an employee. And we have this thing that says if you send a work email over the weekend, you get docked $5. And the person that reports you gets $5. So one of my coworkers wrote me back, you owe me $5. Ha ha. <laughs> so I was like, dang, because I'm forward planning. I like things in their box. I'm but, a little anal But retentive. do you get to then report them because they sent you an email over the weekend? Well, that was kind of the joke, but I didn't send the email back because that's another $5. Gotcha. <laughs> but I could text. There's no rule on texting. 
That's so, funny. But yeah, you know the the funny. He he said, "Hey, next time we're watching a movie on a trip, buy me a popcorn." So it's a deal. He didn't report me because that's kind of messed up. But anyways, all that to say, so <laughs> I like to be in control of myself, and it's kind of like you know, you when when depression comes, you're powerless. I don't. There's nothing you can do. I mean, I was a psych nurse, and I would make depressed patients take showers because research shows that makes them feel better. We would make them get up and walk around. It's terrible because they, they need someone. And that the therapy of that is, is proven. It releases and both of those things release endorphins that will over overall improve the mood and physiologically help the brain. But the reality is, man, when it came, that's why I went and talked to the guy. I talked to him because I'm scared. I said, Hey man, I'm, I've never been through this. Um, every day I'm depressed. I'm, I'm, I despair. I, I can't see any hope. I can't see any light. Um, I, I think about death a lot. And you know, a lot of you guys have never heard this, but I went through it, man. I went through it bad. And, um, and, and he was just like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, he was safe. He was professional. He was licensed. And I always liked my counselors a little charismatic. That means a lot to me. The guy actually believes in the Holy Spirit. And he was like, hey, you just got to feel this, man. Like a guy like you, you're going to try to fight this. And he goes, and that's the worst thing you can do. He goes, think of it as like the tide. It's going to come and take you. And it's going to pull you out the sea for a bit. And when that happens, let the undertow pull you. Go with it. Don't fight it because that will wear you out and drown you quicker. He goes, just go with it. And in the midst of that, he said, you need to be asking the Lord, you know, God, I'm here. I'm not going to deny I'm here. I'm not going to fight that I'm here. This is where I'm at. And, you know, it's funny because he didn't say it at the time. But in hindsight, looking back on that, I'm like, you know what? It's exactly what David did. David went through all this crap. I mean, I live in a trailer. David lived in a cave. He didn't even have a trailer. You could switch on a generator. And get running water. I mean, he had it way worse than me. And, you know, he was like, God, I'm just, I'm done. <laughs> you know, he's like, Lord, are you going to kill me any minute? Like, you, you read, that guy's breaking his heart, man, in, in, in those, those Psalms. But he's going to God with them. And that's important. And, you know, I'm sure this guy that, that, you know, took his life, um, I'm sure he was going to God with it. He had a, a hashtag that was God's got this. And I believe he probably tried as much as he could to, to believe that up until the final moment. And who knows what is my, it could have just been, he's like, God, you got this, but I'm too tired. I don't know what it is, but it's a tragedy and he's in glory now. And as he's there, I know that he sees things from a different perspective. When you're, when you have depression, you have such tunnel vision. You know, on one hand, you could judge him, like say, oh, well, you left three kids. How could you do that? You can't see or feel those things when you're in depression. You just can't. You can't process that. Um, I've seen people so severely depressed that if a fly lands on them or a cockroach crawls on their face, they won't swipe it away. That's how gone they are. And it's just that they, they don't have the drive, motive, or ability. And dude, it's just... Now that I've tasted just a fraction of it, um, it, it, it's, 
I mean, I, I could tell you everything about it scientifically, but I had never been through it. And of course, Spurgeon writes about these things a lot. Um, in answer, Pete, to your question, I know I'm going on and on, but, um, Spurgeon really, he has a, a chapter in lectures of my students called the minister's fainting fits. And a fainting fit is, he's not talking about when you faint in the pulpit because you're so like, you know, doing the, and God said, then I'm going to, and then you just. And he said in, in that chapter, go ahead. No, we lost you, but you're back now. Are you serious? You lost me for, for what part? Just right there, right before you said, go ahead. Oh, um, no, I was just saying, you know, like he was talking about depression, not not like fainting in the pulpit. And, and, and the interesting thing is Spurgeon went through deep, deep, dark depression, like really bad depression. Um, so did Luther. I mean, we've chatted about all this, but Spurgeon, uh, he, 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 he knew what it was to lock himself away and not want to see anybody and just not be able to get out of bed. He struggled with that. And so towards the end of his life, um, it's something he never completely shook, but he learned to, to cope with better. Um, there's all kinds of material written on this about Spurgeon, but, um, but he writes about it and he's honest about it. And, um, in his minister's fainting fits, he says things like, you know, like he talks about how walks, he would walk home from the chapel. He wouldn't get a carriage because again, that whole thing about the endorphins, he didn't know the signs of it back then. But he said, if I get fresh air and I get a walk in, it helps me. Well, that's all scientifically proven now. He would garden. And as he was gardening, he would, he would kind of mentally unwind a bit. You know, he was, that's why he would kind of like, uh, Rick Warren told this, Pete, you know, if you work with your mind, work with your hands. Spurgeon would say every minister should have a garden. It is therapeutic. You get out there and you just put your mind and hands together and it's a different kind of work. And see, and, I, I really take that in modern times to say every pastor needs a Glock 19 <laughs> because you it's know, it, very It's funny you say that, though. That, that is, there is actually, it's the same thing. It is actually the same thing. Oh, I know it is. Yeah. I totally know it is because that's part of the reason why I go so often. I just want to get away from work. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to, you got to, you're engaging your brain differently. You're completely shifting the pathways in your brain when you're engaging something like that. And by the way, that is also scientifically uh, proven. So what happens in the pathways of the brain, I'm not going to go into a major science lesson here, but you have chemicals that, that travel. You have electrical impulses that travel across chemicals. So you have gaps in your, in your neurons or synapses. Uh, that's what they're called. And they're like little um, cliffs that the electrical impulses need to jump across between cell to cell. And so they're called neuroreceptors. So when you say, oh, my synapse fired, that's saying that the electricity crossed over that gap. And you have neurochemicals that help transmit that electricity against, across that gap. That's where drugs come in. So if I'm anxious, I give somebody something that blocks those neurotransmitters or, uh, you know, the um, neurochemicals or neuroreceptors. So that, that's how those medications work. Well, when, when you're, when you're therapeutically, um, doing something, what it's doing is it's taking the other pathways and it's, it's 
it's building your brain's capacity to, um, particularly in depression, it's building an anxiety. It's building your brain's capacity to um, fire those synapses in a different way. And your brain needs that. It needs that break from routine and it needs to shift the gears. And that's why we'll say things are therapeutic because it literally will change how the brain works. Yeah. Yeah, I tell you, I mean, we, we've talked about this before, the whole depression uh, problem, if you will, that people have to deal with. And, uh, you know, I, I am so thankful that I don't personally have to deal with it the way that that people who are going through it have to deal with it. Because I cannot even imagine having to go through that like that, where you're always depressed. Like, that's just not the way my brain functions. But I've got family members that have dealt with that their entire lives. And um, it is actually one of the things that, that concerns me a lot about my kids because I know that it runs in my family. Uh, you know, the, the whole depression, manic depressive, uh, chemical imbalances. And, right. and I worry about it, man. I'm like, you know... I, yeah, are my kids well, going to be hit? And with the this? thing is, is if you have that chemical predisposition, then there's a trigger. So for me, um, I have a family history of addiction and alcohol, and so that that is something that I remember when Nam, um, you know, when I went to work for Nam, they're like, "Hey, you can't drink." And at the time, I remember thinking, like, "Oh, that's lame," you know. But I'll tell you what, man. It was very good for me when my mom died that I wasn't drinking. Yeah, but I don't think you. I don't think you would have drank that much anyway because you you've you're not one that drinks to excess. No, but I can remember before I started working for Nam, there was a little more alcohol getting poured. Not not like I was secretly not enough pouring pouring pouring, you know having having a wee as a guy as a guy who knows how to put down some drinks. I am telling (laughs) you, you were nowhere near that. But I understand that. I I get it. No, but it's not that. It's it's more it's more with alcoholism. It's why you do it. Right, it's that whole never drink alone thing. It's that oh, it's been a tough day. You know, I think I'll pour a drink. That's where the danger is, and and I've always been extremely sensitive to that within myself. I would talk to Andrea when I would have those inklings and say, "Hey, just because Andrea and I are pretty honest about stuff, you know. Like if I have some, I'm a teller. You know what I mean? Like better better to just tell my best friend and my partner and my uh, she's sitting right here. That's why I'm saying all these lovely things. About <laughs> but, uh, but it's better to tell her because she is the one God has put in my life to be there when I'm struggling. And so, you know, to just right up front say, Hey, I'm, 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 I'm drinking more than I should be right now. And I'm a little worried about myself. I'm just telling you this so that I have accountability. Like that, that's what you need to be doing. You need, you know, that what's funny is, <clears throat> As you were saying that, I'm thinking about this conversation. What would happen if I had that conversation with Jamie? I it, What was funny is in that instant, I was like, she would say to me the exact same thing I'd say to her. Stop drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that is so your guys. Wow. We really are right for each other. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be like, suck it up, man. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> 
be great. But, you know, you, you tend, but that that's okay because that's that's your guy's rhythm, you know. And uh, you know, here, here's the thing, man: is at the end of the day, you're going to need people. You're going to need friends. You're going to need people outside of the church that don't judge you. I think if your only support system is the place you work, aka the church, um, unless you're Bible uh, Bible planner or minister, BibleInnerCircle.com. Tom Payton sent you extra commission for me, right, Pete? Sure. And, uh, <laughs> but no, but I mean, honestly, you, you need people outside of that catchment to be there with you. And guys, the other thing is to is, um, you know, don't don't for a second um, buy the lie that that happens when this happens. You always the, the interesting thing about suicide is when someone commits suicide, it plants a very strong alternative to, you know, in people's minds. Like, yeah. for example, yeah. when, yeah, when, when, it, when someone in a high school commits suicide, there will usually be follow-up suicides on top of that. I wouldn't be surprised if the temptation to commit suicide with people struggling with, with temptation, hearing this will get worse because it suddenly presents itself as a conceivable alternative to suffering. It's right there as a ready-made solution, and that's the danger of it. And I would just say to anyone struggling, um, don't buy that lie. Don't don't look at it as, hey, um, you know, I uh, I need to. Um, that's going to be me. You know that that's that's where the enemy, that's where your own thoughts will come in. If you are depressed, you have morbid thoughts, anyways. You have hopeless thoughts. You have thoughts that are very cynical and defeatist. Um, you need to fight through those. And the best thing you could probably do, just something that you could do immediately on this call, we've talked about prayer, we've talked about friends, we've talked about help, we've talked about um, you know things you can physically do. But one of the other things that you can do that costs you nothing and is completely anonymous is to call the suicide prevention hotline. You just call them and tell them you, they don't need to know your name. They don't need to know where you are. They're not going to send the SWAT team hunting after you. You can just call and talk. What do to they somebody. do on those calls? They is listen just, to you. Is that is that and, all it is? They just talk. Yeah, and if and if you if you um, if you're really in a place of danger, they'll tell you, "Hey, you need to call nine one one." And you know, but they're they're not they're not. It's a non-threatening alternative. You call them and you talk to them and say, "I want." to kill myself and they're not going to be like, Oh my gosh, you know, it's not like calling 911. It's that's what they're there for. They're there to hear you and they're there to talk to you. And that's what they're equipped to do. And, you know, think about the person that says, you know what? I, I'm going to be there. There are usually people that have lost somebody to suicide and they do care. Let's, they're there let's, because before yeah. we, we cut out, let's, let's also address the question. Because we're dealing with people in ministry, what happens or what steps should they take? Should someone in their church, family member, friend, whatever, come to them and say, I'm thinking about suicide? What should they do? Yeah. So that one is very, very um, tough because you have a legal responsibility as a minister. Um, there's two things. One is ideation. There's there's two things that you look for as a um, someone in the psych field. Um, they both begin with the letter I. There's suicidal ideation, 
and their suicidal intent. So the, the ideation is I'm thinking about suicide. I want to commit suicide. The suicidal intent is I have a plan and a time and a place. And so what we assess when we're talking to people is the ideation first. How long has this been? What do you think? You know, what, what are you thinking about? You know, yada, yada. Then we move into the intent. How, how have you thought about how you're going to do it? Have you thought about when do you have a, you know, and we start asking all that. And then, and then we ask them, you know, have you attempted before and yada, yada. And often, you know, people that even attempt suicide, it's not what they really want. They just don't want to feel what they're feeling. You know, that's the saddest thing about it is people who commit suicide don't really want to die. And, and, and I think that's the most heart, heartbreaking thing about it. So when you're looking at it, um, as a pastor, you, if it's suicidal ideation, you get them help in the form of counseling and, you know, you listen to them and, um, you, you get them treatment. If it's suicidal intent, that's why we have something which is I am going to commit suicide. Like if I leave this office here, I'm going to go hang myself. Then you say, okay, well, look, I'm here for you. Um, let's get you the help you really need, which is um, let's get you into a, into a place right now that's going to keep you safe. And you call, you know, and, you know, but I don't have insurance. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, it's like. Uh, and and you don't you don't call the center you you need to call uh, really you call the police and you, you know you can call an ambulance um, you can but just call nine one one tell them I have someone here who um, you know needs to be kept safe they're a danger to themselves and um, and then someone might say well what if they run out of my office well they might run out of your office still well, call then I feel bad because they came to me as a pastor. Are you going to feel worse when they end up dead? And you think, well, they came to my office and I didn't do anything and they went home and hung themselves. And that happens. And so, you know, people in my church, I I do tell them, look, if you come to me and you talk to me, um, I will help you through it to the best of my ability. But if I feel that I can't help you, then we will get you treatment. And, you know, you sometimes have people who uh, they have a disorder, a psychiatric disorder, um, or more of a personality disorder, like borderline personality disorder. That personality disorder uses suicidal threat or threat of suicidal harm as a means of seeking attention. And so what they'll do is they form a codependency with someone like a pastor or someone in pastoral authority and they'll do this, and you'll you'll see it. it. Once you start learning all this stuff, you start seeing it, you know. And 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 what I've learned to do as a pastor is I tell them, if you come to me once, we will get you treatment. If you come to me twice with this, the next time we will put you on a hold, you know, a legal hold, a forty-eight hour hold, because, um, you know, that's what you're going to need. So. Uh, I, I let people know that I right away perceive her personality disorders that, hey, you know, I have a responsibility and you do have a legal responsibility. It's like if a teacher is approached by a child who says, I'm going to kill myself, they have a legal obligation. They can go to jail for not reporting that. Um, it's the same thing as if someone comes and says, I'm being physically abused by my husband or my parents. You have a le- you don't have a choice anymore. 
And so in that sense, you don't, I'm not saying you got to call the police because someone comes to you and says, I'm going to kill myself. I'm saying you look at ideation and you look at intent and you make the judgment. You still have to get them help. And so the question is, who are you going to call? So in that case, you get them into see a psychiatrist um, or a therapist. You start with a therapist, perhaps, if, if you're not that concerned. And then the therapist can either, some therapists can prescribe medication, others cannot. So it just depends, you know. And um, if they, they feel it's above their head, they'll refer them to a psychiatrist. So that's how it works. Well, cool, man. I'm grateful that you shared all that. Yeah, and, um, you know, if you guys are, are, you know, ministers and you don't know where to turn, you can write us. I know we joked around about Nigerian princes writing us all the time. But um, we would want to hear from you guys. And, um, you know, if there's something Pete and I can do to help you, by all means, write in. And when he says us, he really means Peyton. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, the the (laughs) thing is, is that I I don't want to read another headline like I read. I mean, my heart's just going out to him. I wish I knew him. I wish... Uh, I, I could have, you know, part of me thought because he was a church planner at one time, part of me thought, did he listen to this show? He's not far. I know a lot of people that know him. It's possible that, that at some time, uh, or another, he was a podcast listener here and it heard things were, are there things that we could have should? So, you know, all those things that I just think, I know that when I look at the numbers of people that, you know, I just looked yesterday, Pete. The number of people that listen to this podcast, I know that there are others out here right now listening to this podcast that say, I'm not too far from that. Sure. And, um, you know, so let me just do something we don't normally do on here, Pete. And I just want to pray. Sure. Lord, we just lift up um, any of our podcast listeners that are struggling and in um, even what John Bunyan called the, the slough of despair, that place where they just they can't get out of the swamp, and they're trying to get out. Lord Jesus, even even David said um, in Psalm 40 that he was in a dark and slimy pit, that he couldn't crawl out. And he said, but I waited, and I waited for the Lord on high, and he heard my cry, and he reached down, and he pulled me out. And Lord, I know when David's talking about that, that he felt powerless, and all he could do was call to you. And I pray for those that find themselves today in the same place, um, with the same uh, just pain and struggle and hopelessness. I pray that you would break through and show them even their thoughts are a part of the chemicals going on in their brain. That negativity, it's not reality. It's not real. They feel it. It's strong, but it's not truth. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would break through for them, set them free, Lord. I ask Jesus that they would get the help. They would have, if they don't have the friends, ministers can be lonely. Pray that they would reach out to anybody that they can trust. And Lord, that you would help them. Even even if it is that we get an email or a, or a text or whatever it is, Lord. I pray that you would just help prevent anyone in that situation Lord, from following suit and going the same route. And for that family, Lord, we do pray for the family of that minister and for that church and for the people that... Um, we're there praying for him and, and hoping for him and waiting for him to return. We do ask Jesus that you would just minister to them, draw near to all of them, Lord. I know it's going to hurt for a long time. And those poor kids, Lord, it's going to hurt and it's going to affect them deeply. But we pray for your grace, Lord. We pray for your presence in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right, man. Um, why don't you do our uh, our typical yeah, sign-off? So, hey, guys, we do have another sponsor, SimplifyChurch.com. Um, they are designated uh, to pay attention to the stuff that you don't have time for, like bookkeeping, like payroll, like uh, tax compliance with the IRS. And they're there for you guys. It's SimplifyChurch.com. Let them know that Peyton and Pete sent you, and ask them if you can get a discount for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just on a roll with our sponsors today, aren't I? <laughs> you know, it's better than having Simplify Church hiring a full-time treasurer. No, I'm just teasing. That's a terrible idea. Because SimplifyChurch.com is cheap, and uh, they'll sort you out. They're former church planners, so check them out. SimplifyChurch.com, and this has been the Church Planner Podcast. Peyton Jones, Pete Mitchell. Reminding you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. I love you, man. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Church